You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a bootcamp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Course Report Podcast. In this episode, we are talking about the actual differences between boot camps and the traditional K-12 or higher ed model. But this is not a conversation about CS degrees versus boot camps. We've had that debate before. I'm sure we'll continue. Uh, what we're talking about today is what it actually feels and looks like to learn at a boot camp. So chances are, if you're listening to this, you've been through the traditional education system in some way, maybe K-12, maybe you went to college, maybe you loved that experience, or maybe it didn't really click for you. So I invited Jeff Casimir from Turing School in Denver to break down the differences between traditional ed and a boot camp and how folks who didn't do well in high school or college may really benefit from a boot camp learning style. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So let's dive right in. So Jeff, for people who think that Turing was your first job in education, could you tell us a little bit about your career? Uh, this month of August marks 15 years, which sounds like an incredibly long time to be doing one thing. Um, I started teaching middle school in 2003 with Teach for America uh, back in my native Washington, D.C. Uh, then I moved into high school. I taught computer science and some other things in, in high school for a couple years. Uh, and then I joined a team to open a new middle school. And served as what well, was basically a vice principal of that school. Um, did the new middle school for two years, and then 2009 decided to try out adult education and started a company called Jumpstart Lab. Uh, did some training and corporate training work. Uh, 2011 uh, got together with some friends at Living Social and and started up Hungry Academy, which uh, I at least the way I remember it is uh, there was. Dev Bootcamp in San Francisco, um, what was then called Code Space Academy and would later become, um, have, have other names <laughs> in Chicago and Hungry Academy in DC kind of all started within the same like six month span. Um, so it's a bit of that. There's like this scientific or phenomenon in the history of science of like simultaneous uh, discovery. And so it seemed like that kind of happened with this little industry of uh, a bunch of programs kind of got started more or less at the same time. Uh, so did Hungry Academy. And then uh, I came out to Denver to help start Galvanize, a program that we called G School at the time. And did that for a year. Started Turing in 2014. And then as of June 2018, Turing's been going four years. So we're now into year five. So maybe the only like realm of education that you haven't worked in is elementary school and college. Yeah, I taught third grade summer school was my very first class. And uh, I'll never forget the feeling of my, my first day of, of teaching third grade summer school. And then after the kids had left, turning the lights off and just crying. Oh, and no. just thinking like, what have I done to my life? Like, this is far too difficult. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm getting ripped apart by third graders. Uh, 
that was yeah that was my only elementary truly elementary school time elementary school teachers are heroes to me because they're in the classroom for like six hours a day by themselves like that is a tremendous amount of work uh, middle high school college are all significantly easier uh, so yeah I never did traditional college uh, we, we've talked about some doing some things here in Denver, but uh, never quite made it work. So I think Turing will probably be as close as I get to traditional college. Well, I want to talk in a minute about um, kind of what we're seeing in terms of collaboration between traditional university and boot camps and how we feel about that. But okay, let's kind of set the scene for what we're talking about um, when we talk about traditional education and kind of like the traditional classroom. How would you describe a quote unquote, traditional teaching environment? Can you just kind of like set the scene for what we're comparing boot camps to? Yeah, I think um, high schools and colleges to me generally operate relatively similarly. Uh, It's what my wife likes to call the sit and get method of education, right? Where uh, you have a group of people, you sit in a room, one person's talking, you're taking notes, or maybe you're doing some worksheets or some exercises, and then you leave. Um, then outside of class, you're typically doing work to reinforce what you learned in class um, or, or heard about in class. Um, and one class doesn't really vary that much to the next where uh, by which I mean like Monday of a given class looks a lot like Tuesday looks a lot like Wednesday like it's kind of the same patterns over and over Uh, and so that's I think the model that most people are accustomed to in high school and college Um, and you can extract value from that you can learn things uh, but it's not particularly engaging and we think and talk a lot about like engagement in education. And, and to me, the biggest gap in education overall in K-12 and higher ed and so forth is a, a disregard for the student's engagement. That uh, instruction is typically not geared around like what will help the student like appreciate the material or understand its context or why it matters. Uh, instead, the focus is on like, can I explain the material with complete clarity? But if a student doesn't care about the explanation, then the clarity is immaterial. Right. It's funny because it kind of seems like there's always like that that one class in high school and college or college that stands out to someone and that like people look back on fondly. And it's usually like because the teacher strayed from that model, you know, um, and like got somebody really interested in a subject in a non sit and get. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just finished reading this book called the power of moments by Chip and Dan Heath that I really enjoyed. And that was, uh, one of the things it was talking about is looking back on education, how all of us can remember like those real high points. And then also to kind of critically look at it's sad how few and far between those were, you know, when, when I look back at what were assignments or projects that I worked on in, in school that were really meaningful to me that I still remember, you know, it's two or three, maybe four of them. And I went to school like 16 years. That doesn't seem correct. You know, why, why can't we build educational experiences where maybe not every day is a durable memory, but where you're doing something like at least once per semester per class where there, there's something that really like sticks with you and feels worthwhile. I think in the 
in the current like K-12 world, there's a feeling that with No Child Left Behind and Race to the Top and all these kinds of initiatives, there isn't time for that, that we have to uh, sacrifice everything for state-mandated testing and so forth. And that's where I think the uh, kind of boot camp industry and colleges and so forth have uh, a high level of both freedom and responsibility because there are so few rules, right? I, I think whatever state you're in in the U.S., um, even if there is state-level regulation of a boot camp program, what the state level is looking at is are you stealing people's money or not? And if you're not stealing people's money, then you can more or less do whatever you want. So uh, if you want to build a program that is sit in this chair, close your mouth and listen to this person talk for hours on end, you can do that. And if you want to be, uh, you know, there, there are some programs completely at the other end where it's like, we don't have a curriculum or anything. You just come and work on stuff and you ask other people questions. You know, um, I think both of those to me are uh, flawed in some ways, but uh, there, there's a tremendous spectrum of variants possible. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about the differences between boot camps in a second. And I think we're already kind of getting into those, but could we back up for a second? And was there anything that you liked about the traditional classroom and like kind of traditional teaching style when you were working in um, middle school, high school? Yeah, you know, the... When I started doing adult education in 2009 um, and really teaching programming to adults, it was fun in that they pick it up quickly, right? Uh, they have a lot of skills. They're paying attention. They're invested and so forth. Um, but the thing that was missing was that it, it just didn't matter. And I, I was teaching uh, weekend classes that people could sign up for. I was going into a company and teaching their developers for a week or two or three weeks or whatever. And the thing that I started to realize about 2010 was when, when I was teaching high school, it was super hard. You didn't get the kids very long. You know, it, it, it didn't always feel like you could do your best work, but whatever work you put in really made a difference. And when, when I started doing that corporate training and so forth, it's like, this doesn't really make a difference. I'm, I'm checking off somebody's box on their professional development plan of their yearly, uh, you know, yearly evaluation. And that's it. And they kind of act that way, like their engagement looks like that. Uh, now, so, so I guess when I started to come around to the idea of like, maybe I need to do something different, it was how can we take the ideas of working with adults, doing programming and, and work that I really enjoy, and also have it matter, have it change somebody's life, have it change the lives of, of the people that they care about. Uh, and that's really how we started down this path. I do want to spend some time kind of outlining the actual differences between traditional education and the boot camp model. Can we spend just a, a minute going through like the characteristics of the boot camp classroom for somebody who's like, isn't it just the same as a college classroom? Yeah. The first thing that stands out to me, I, I can say for us at Turing, is that the classroom and the structures around it, the contents, the projects and plans, that the iteration cycle is exceptionally fast. So if I was teaching high school and I had a project or unit that didn't go that great or it didn't quite match my expectations as an instructor, the soonest I would be able to fix it was probably 11 months you know, the next school year, or maybe it's the next semester. For us, we work in these six-week cycles. We, we do 
classes every quarter that are six weeks long. And so every six weeks, the curriculum is changing and improving and experimenting in new directions, right? So over, Turing's been around four years, I think this group that just started is like our 56th class or something along those lines. So it's just iterating, 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 iterating. We don't always get it right. You know, sometimes you iterate and you're like, oh, no, this is much worse than the old thing. Let's go back to the old thing. But you can change and you can adapt really, really quickly. Um, and that is an exceptional power, I think, to the, the boot camp model is uh, the, the structural allowances and the personal will to change and move and be responsive. Um, so that's one piece. Second is I think the immersive model is is really important. Uh, when I look back at my college experience, the classes I enjoyed and got the most out of were my summer school classes because I would take one or two at a time. They would meet for three hours a day, three to five days a week, you know, and I just got to be in it and I'm, we're doing the lecture and I'm reading a book and I'm writing a paper and it's just on my mind all the time. And you get so deep into it, wherein typical college or typical high school, right? You're juggling six, seven, eight classes at a time. And you're kind of, you're just like tending the pots on a busy stove, like a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, a little bit of this one, back to the third one, over to the sixth one. A lot of context switching. Exactly. And your ability to get deep in the material in that kind of situation is not good. (laughs) You know? So uh, I think doing anything with intensity is more rewarding than doing a lot of things like shallowly, shallowly, if that's a word, I don't know. Um, So I think that's a a huge advantage. Uh, Second is the relatively small group kind of cohort type model that you see at almost every program. Uh, For us, we like those cohorts to be somewhere around 24 to 32 students and to have this this team, the shared experience uh, where folks are, it's it's not just like social, that's a piece of it, you know, make friends, whatever, uh, but really creating the support network, this kind of, I think of it almost like an inspiration network, right? Of seeing what the person next to you is doing, what the person in front of you is able to do, what the person behind you is struggling with. And that really reinforces everything you're doing. In most of high school and undergrad, collaboration is called cheating, right? And yeah. there are like I, t- no joke. I can yeah, remember a couple classes I took in college that were highly collaborative and I loved them. But the vast majority was like I might as well have been there by myself, right? It was sit and get this material, go home and do a thing on your own, turn it in and get feedback and repeat over and over. The workplace does not go like that, right? In in I think it doesn't matter in modern industry, whether you're talking about engineering or marketing or accounting or whatever, the idea that we sit alone and complete our work and then ship it off to someone else, like that's just not how the modern world works. And that's part of the mismatch between our traditional education patterns and the work patterns. I think boot camps are able to do a lot better with that. So yeah. So, okay, so I hear you saying that a bootcamp can be characterized as highly iterative, immersive, organized into small groups, collaborative cohorts, and matching work patterns. Do you think that, like, the physical space has anything to do with teaching? Like, do you think it affects learning? 
I don't know is the short answer. And I've been thinking about uh, there's a program in Pittsburgh called Manchester Bidwell um, that started something like 20 years ago to teach uh, like welding and, and kind of traditional trades like that. And their concept was to start with the space and build a space that was beautiful and creative and inspiring and then allow students to like build a culture that reinforces that. Uh, of the boot camps I've been to, most of us have space that we make do with. Uh, it's, it's the cast off space, you know, Turing is very much this way We're we're in a basement that like no one else wants. So, uh, we could get it at an affordable rate. And I've started to ask the question of like, what would it look like for us to have what we felt was really a like world-class facility. And I don't think it's, uh, you know, brushed aluminum and wood and kegs and so forth. There's there's more to it. And so we're starting a little project to do some research and go look at some colleges, try and go visit the MIT Media Lab and uh, go to Manchester Bidwell and Pittsburgh and so forth and figure out, like, what are people doing to create really functional spaces? I don't think decorative spaces, it's at least not my thing. I... I uh, we're, we're probably guilty of, of not caring enough about uh, kind of the aesthetics, but how do we create powerfully functional spaces that enable people to do great work? Uh, that's a piece we're still trying to figure out. Like, do you think every student, could we just apply that to every student or are there types of student that, students that don't thrive in the like non-traditional classroom? I think think there are students who need a period of adjustment for sure, you know, and um, it's something that we've seen in the history of Turing is a, a student who was highly successful in a traditional academic setting. Um, one of the markers for this is people that graduated from Ivy League schools. They don't always do great at Turing uh, because there's a higher degree of like chaos, kind of self uh, independence, like self reliance, as opposed to a model where it's like, here's the 26 things you need to do, check them off one at a time. Like that's that's not us. That's not what we're interested in doing. Uh, I think there are any environment uh, is going to have strengths and weaknesses for for a given student, or going to have some kind models of student that struggle, but generally. I think boot camp type programs and alternative ed kinds of programs, what they're really doing is multimodal education. It's not that we're doing one thing and it's different. It's that we're doing a lot of things and some of them are the same. You know, you can come in, uh, if you walk around Turing at 9.30 a.m. on a Monday, you're going to see a lot of people sitting in rows. Uh, they're listening to a lecture. They're asking questions. They're being asked to do uh, activities or res have responses along the way. It looks like a very traditional uh, kind of class. The difference is that at 1030, at 1130, at 230 in the afternoon, it's going to look different. And those modes are always shifting. So I think if there are some modes that don't work for a person, that's okay. And as long as we're delivering four or five different, uh, using four or five different strategies, then we're going to find the things that do work for them. What types of students like thrive in the bootcamp style program? And like, have you encountered students like that who just like did not do well in high school and college? 
but actually did really well at Turing. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Like, I, I think, you know, essentially what we're doing is trying to like buck the system and, I was a kid who was constantly trying to buck the system and like treading the line of getting suspended or expelled all the time. Uh, So I think there are a lot of people who like me didn't feel that the educational environment they were in was really like a match for the kinds of work they wanted to do, the things they were interested in and so forth. Uh, And, you know, I think the, the beauty of, vocational ed uh, as a broader picture is that there's a lot of opportunity for people to have a second or third or fourth or fifth chance, right? And maybe high school wasn't that fun for you. Maybe college you didn't graduate or maybe you graduated and you hated it. And I think when you look at grad school and so forth, it's more of the same, right? Grad school is just the same as undergrad and just the same as high school. And what I think is neat now about boot camps and other types of training programs is we're starting to see like, okay, let, let's try some different models. And maybe people who weren't successful or didn't enjoy the traditional way, there are ways that they can enjoy and be highly successful. All right. So as you mentioned before, boot campers are not like, like they're opting in, right? They're not legally obligated to be at school. Like you might be in, you know, K-12. Um, they opt in, they're usually older and more mature. I would hopefully, posture. yeah. Um, if that's a direct correlation, I don't know. How does that affect the learning environment? It's interesting. Um, before, we got into this whole enterprise. Um, I had friends that went to grad school and it was interesting to see them regress to their younger selves. You know, I feel like people would be 28 years old. They'd go to get an MBA or something. And then they're like going to keg parties and stuff. It's like, really? I thought you were like a grown up now. Um, and there's a, there's a bit of that in the boot camp world, I think, that uh, people, you have this social community and so forth, and it, and it feels kind of fun, right? And, and a bit of your, your youth can come back to you. But at the same time, there's so much riding on it. You know, that's, I just had a conversation with students uh, one hour ago. We were talking about the beginning of their job hunt. And I said to them, look, I understand you're tired. You've been at this for six months and you got a month left. This, these next four, six or eight weeks are going to determine your future. It's going to impact the future of the people you care about. If you have a significant other, it's affecting them. If you have parents and siblings, it's going to affect them. If you think you have, you have kids or you think you might one day have kids, these next six weeks are going to impact them too. So don't tell me about how tired you are. Don't tell me about your teacher has given you too much work and you can't do that and hunt for a job too. Like this is your life on the line. Like there is it, the the potential here is so huge. And if you can find a way to push through, if you can do the things we tell you to do, everything you want is yours. And one of the great things about most of the tech industry is they don't really care where you came from and what you've done. They care about what you can do now. And if you 
you go to law school and you get that law degree, like your undergrad still matters. Your high school might still matter. But if you go to a training program and you do great and you develop all these skills, no one cares whether, okay, I can't say no one. Very few companies care what kind of degree you had in undergrad, what school you went to, whether you graduated or not. Some don't even care if you graduated high school. It's like you can really start over in an amazing way. And I think that's part of the unique opportunity of it. There aren't a lot of other ways that somebody else, somebody who's 24, 28, 35 years old can say, you know what, I'm going to start over. Uh, one of the interesting markers of that that I would have never anticipated is we have students who come in and their first day at Turing, they either um, have changed their name, like they've decided to go by a different name, or they decided to change their gender identity. And it's like, wow, this is this is rebirth at like a whole new level, you know? Um, and I don't, that's not, you know, it, it, it's not a, a high number of students or anything, but it's just fascinating to think about what does it feel like to be a person that you don't particularly want to be? You know, what does it feel like to have gone through all that traditional education, gone through, maybe done the things you thought you wanted to do or, or your parents wanted you to do or you were supposed to do, not be satisfied with it and get the chance to start over? That's pretty cool. How do you think like as an industry we're doing on accessibility? I think we've been talking about this for years. I'm curious where you stand with it now because like opt-in creates this like incredible motivation in people. But then on the other hand, does it like kind of create like an exclusivity or an accessibility around coding education? Because if you don't know what a coding boot camp is, like you're not going to choose to go to one, right? Like people choose to go to them. The people who are most likely to be successful at a coding boot camp are the people who are most likely to be successful at everything else. And the people most likely to struggle or have historically struggled at everything else are the ones most likely to struggle at a boot camp. And that's not good enough, right? I think it's true for us at Turing. I think it's true for everybody else in the industry. Um, if we are just serving students who are already served by all the existing opportunities and power structures and so forth of the world, then this is not a worthwhile uh, way to spend our time. Like I didn't come to just create another thing that was the same as everything else, right? If we're going to do something really different, then I think this focus on how do we enable people who have traditionally not been provided all the opportunities, not been supported, not been believed in, and as a result of all those things, not been successful in the traditional paths, if they are not successful in our path too, or if their likelihood of success is only as good as it is everywhere else, that is not good enough. And I think, you know, uh, to be honest about it, like we have a long way to go in this. Um, it, I just had conversations today and yesterday about graduation rate, for instance, and the our graduation rate needs to be higher. Uh, we need to intervene more quickly and hopefully before there's a reason to intervene uh, to make sure that students get on and stay on the right track and get through. If we're not serving students, like if we're only serving students that would be successful without us, then we are wasting our time. 
Yeah, graduation rate is an interesting metric that I feel like we don't hear about from a lot of schools, but I think that it could be really helpful for students making a decision about a boot camp. So um, I do hope that schools start to report graduation and attrition rate, kind of same thing, um, either through CIRR or some other mechanism. But um, yeah, I do think that's important. Thanks for bringing it up. I think if I was looking at programs and I would use the data points as a start of my investigation, but the next thing I would look at is I would reach out to the admissions team and say to them, hey, um, I'm this age, I have this kind of education background, I maybe have this kind of identity. Do you have any alums who are kind of like me who I could talk to? And I want to ask that person, you know, were there other people like you in the program? Did they make it too? Or are you like the one unicorn who made it? You know, what was it like for you? Uh, what's it been like in the industry and so forth? And those stories to me would be significantly more compelling than anything that's going to show up on a spreadsheet. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't really plan on talking about like reporting or transparency <laughs> in this talk. We but, just get there. We always I mean, get there. I know. You have to. But that also has to be just a huge difference between traditional education and coding boot camps, right? If we're comparing the two, it's like just the fact that that data exists and that like uh, schools that boot camps are like thinking about the jobs that their students are getting and like, you know, making that clear. Yeah. That's a big difference. Coming back to these kind of differences in the models, differences, differences in the setup really is boot camps or accelerated training programs or whatever, the measurability of their outcomes is really clear. Do you get a job? Do you not get a job? How long does it take? How much do you get paid? You know, and of course, yes, it gets fuzzy about like contract jobs or full-time jobs or hourly pay or salary pay or whatever. But what do colleges do in this space? Nothing. They don't track it. They don't want to track it because if they tracked it, somebody might subpoena it. Or somebody might want to find out, right? So colleges, traditional colleges at least, have exceptionally little tie to the real outcomes of their students. Boot camps, accelerated training programs are should be or have uh, the potential to be very aware of those outcomes and then make changes to affect those outcomes. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a question that I get from journalists. So let me pose it to you. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Um, you've probably heard it before, but do you think that the coding bootcamp style of learning is only good for teaching coding and those kind of like other digital skills, UX, UI, data science, et cetera? Or do you think that it can be used to teach any subject? And if so, what subjects? One of the many mistakes that I think the tech industry makes on a consistent basis is to believe that it's unique. And it, everything involving tech is different than everything else. The programs that we've started and run and so forth, these are not fundamentally different than automotive programs that already existed, than welding programs that already existed. You know, To say that programming is somehow like this special unicorn where this thing can work, that's clearly false. But there are a couple factors that an industry needs to have for this approach to work. 
Number one is a reliance on skills, not credentials, right? So the ability, one, one of the strengths of programming is that you can demonstrate your proficiency in a short period of time, whether it's an hour or a half day or a day, you can find out, does this person know what they're doing? When you come to other industries like economics, how do you find out if an economist knows what they're doing or not? It takes longer. It takes more than an hour or half a day or a day, right? So uh, you need an industry where you can evaluate skill quickly. Number two, uh, you need an industry that is relatively high pay because there's a lot of risk involved for the student. So if you go to a program, you spend all this money, and then you come out and you see a salary that is 10% or 20% higher than you were previously earning, it's just not (laughs) worth that level of risk. Right? So you have to have an industry where the salary floor is relatively high and that there continues to be growth potential after that. I think there are industries that have uh, both of those factors. And third, there has to be, uh, let's say, limits or weaknesses in the existing pipelines. Right, So there are uh, plenty of people graduating with math degrees from higher ed. Like they don't have jobs to go into. There aren't enough professorships. You cannot start a math boot camp uh, for adults. Maybe for kids, that's actually a good idea. But uh, for adults, not a good plan, right? So there has to be uh, market demand. Those skills have to be measurable in a short period of time rather than relying on the credential. And third, there has to be a significant jump in earning potential for a student to justify the risk. If you have those three, I think you can run this kind of program. Do you think there are any subjects that meet those three? Yes. Healthcare? Nursing? Yeah. I mean, I I, I sometimes say that, like, we're not training brain surgeons. We're training field medics uh, of programming. So uh, I I think there are there aren't ones that I'm expert in. You know, (laughs) this was the one I I, I took my one shot. Uh, But yes, for sure. I, I think there are other industries where you can take a similar model. Now, what is the what is the growth potential, right? You've seen across the years of course report, like hundreds of programs spring up. I don't know that we need hundreds of programs teaching one set of skills, right? Or, or targeting one job in other industries. But uh, can a program start up, be sustainable, do right by its students and help them get great jobs. Yeah, I my gut says that, yes, there are a lot of jobs that you could do this. One of the other pieces is uh, what are the entrenched people in that industry like? And I hypothesize that in a lot of industries, the existing workforce, their training did not actually teach them how to do their job. Their training got them a degree and the name on the degree got them a job. And then once they got to the job, they learned how to do it. To those kind of folks, the idea of someone else not going through the same steps that they did, not having to pay the same price that they did, that's very, very threatening to them, right? So in programming, there's kind of this feeling of abundance, right? I want to hire more people for my team. There's plenty of jobs. A person coming out of a boot camp isn't going to compete with me if I have industry experience and so forth. Reality is that's not true, but uh, that's what that's how people they can they can approach it with open arms. If you go to um, an in uh, you know just an adjacent thing like project management, 
Do project managers really learn how to project manage in class or do they learn it by project managing? I think it's mostly the latter, right? And so to a person who has built up that experience saying like, oh yeah, you can come in here after three months of training or whatever, that's that's pretty threatening. And I don't think the arms are going to be so open. Uh, the same is true of a lot of like traditional disciplines around business and marketing and accounting and so forth. Like, could you make an accounting bootcamp? Uh, it seems to me, yes. Like I, I, that's not my expertise. I, I grew up around accountants uh, and I think they would tell you, yes. The thing, you know, if, if I've started a couple things, you know, and I never intended to be a person who started a whole bunch of things. I just wanted to start one thing. But if we do another one, there's a pretty good chance that it'll be a high school. Um, that's a problem to me that like, I think we can take a lot of these lessons learned and I think we could do better for a really a, like broad population of kids. And I think you could take these lessons and you could do a better job of teaching social studies and a better job of teaching biology and could really set kids up for some dramatic success in life. Well, I mean, doing more of like a semester type model or wait, what is it called? What is like the Northeastern method called hmm. where they literally do like six weeks of one subject instead of doing 12 weeks of yeah, three subjects? I don't know the name for it, but doing like something I, like that, like a, just a more immersive model mm-hmm. where you're still teaching the same subjects, but you're teaching them in a more immersive way. I think. That is that that kind of thinking is really promising, you know, and coming coming from like the charter school world, that was part of the dream of charter schools was there was going to be all this innovation and model and schedule and like, what if high school happened in afternoons and evenings? And what if it was 12 months? And what if it included internships and all that kind of stuff? And over time, to me, the dream has faded. And now most schools, they're they're all just different versions of KIPP, which is like um, sit in the chair this certain way, move your eyes this certain way when someone's talking to you, listen to all this information, write it down, put it back on the test. You know, it's like we, there's so much more potential here. What can universities and, and high schools or traditional education providers learn from coding boot camps? And over the last four years, like, have you... How have you seen them kind of meld together? The it is false to say that like higher ed isn't isn't trying and isn't doing innovative things, right? So um, there's uh, somebody I really like, a professor named Yong Bakos up at um, Oregon State in the Cascades, uh, Oregon State University. He is doing some great innovative stuff there in a traditional higher ed world. Um, You see it at a lot of different schools. There are pockets of innovation and some of the subjects they're teaching, some of the models they're using, some of the ways they're pushing students, they're doing great work. I have, there are very, very few where it's program wide, right? So it's, you can take an amazing couple classes along your four-year journey. But there, you know, if I was looking at grad schools, for instance, to me, the only grad school I would realistically consider is the MIT Media Lab, because it's the only one that I've seen do really amazing work in amazing models consistently, 
beyond just a couple inspired professors or an administrator who sees the future or whatever. And that's the problem, I think, in higher ed is it's hard to be durable. As soon as you have somebody who is doing really great, innovative work, they're going to get hired away because higher ed just doesn't pay, right? A lot of uh, state universities and stuff, professors are paid 45, 50, 55 K. I'll pay them twice that, you know? So uh, it's, it's hard for them to stick around. So then do you see boot camps and universities starting to merge a bit? Uh, to me, the two growth vectors of the, of the accelerated training industry right now, one is towards corporate training and going into your huge enterprise customers and teaching people who are doing skill A, you're teaching them skill B and prepping them for different jobs. We see a lot of the players in our space who have been around for years, this is where they're putting the majority of their energy. I think it's boring. I'm not going to do it. Um, they can, I'm glad for them to do that. Well, yeah, Jeff, I agree with you that there are definitely some you know, boring corporate training partnerships out there, right? Um, but there has to be some way for us to figure out how to get employers to start paying for the training, retraining, upskilling of individual workers instead of individual students being responsible for that, right? Is there some opportunity? I think of or talk about the example of FedEx. And if you're, if you're a company going into FedEx and you're training truck drivers to be software developers who have this now deep understanding of the on-the-ground work and how it goes, amazing. And I'm all about it. Because you you push people up the ladder, now you're creating entry-level jobs for new people to come in. And like that is making a difference. If you're going in and teaching .NET developers how to do Java or Java people how to do data science, it's just you're not really moving the needle to me. Teaching in a corporate environment where it's easier because I get one fat check and I don't have to worry about admission, outcomes don't really matter. Oh, if we were just trying to make money, like, I don't think this is the path we would have gone down. I could have made money a lot of different ways. Uh, option two, or the second growth vector, is this white label approach, right? Of we're a university, we want to offer a program kind of like this. Um, we talk to somebody who, uh, like Trilogy, and we can, we can pay some money or we pay per student, we license some curriculum, and now we can um, put on our board report that we're hip and cool, right? Because we did the fancy new thing. It doesn't have to be very good. It doesn't have to enroll students. It also doesn't need to have any measurable outcomes because after they get done, they're still just going to be university students for the most part. Um, and so it's easy and it looks good. Uh, there is some, some nuance, some challenge to whether it's business or education, whatever these like endeavors are, it's very hard to take someone else's solution and apply them to your situation. There are things to be learned and there are principles and I'm not saying that everyone should invent everything from scratch, but the 
it is very difficult to say, let me take someone else's solution, someone else's set of lesson plans and projects and so forth, and make it a right fit for the staff we have, the culture we have, the environment, the students we have, and so forth. And so what you get is, in my opinion, a best case, you're talking about like a five out of 10. Like we have a thing. It's not a complete waste of time. Okay. If you're, if that's good enough, which I think typically in higher ed, it is good enough. So we see boot camps growing by expanding into corporate training. And then also this other trend towards universities or continuing education departments. Um, anything else you're hearing in terms of trends? Yeah. And that's, you know, when people talk about the industry and they say, I think there's a there's a feeling or, or there's something people like to say on the internet that, you know, the bubble has burst, like boot camps and such are over. That's an exceptionally foolish take, in my opinion, because tech people, I think tech people are obsessed with the idea of winning, right? And so when you look at different programming languages, it's which one's the best, which framework is going to win. And now we have boot camps and it's like, well, which one's going to win? If you don't have the most locations or the most students or whatever, you, you can't win. You're going to lose. You're going to be done and finished. If I look around here in the city of Denver, I think there are something like 14 colleges. Which one of them is going to win? None of them. All of them. They're, they're, there's space for all of this. You know, There's space for a whole lot of programs to teach a whole lot of different topics and subjects. There are uh, other programs will come and open in Denver. And I hope they do come and like uh, challenge us a little bit. But people are like, what if so-and-so comes? What if this company with all this money comes to Denver? It's like, so what? Uh, what I always come back to, and I'm sure it's, it's grandiose or whatever. Maybe it makes people roll their eyes. But I say like, is MIT worried about what University of Phoenix is doing? No. So let's just be MIT. Let's just like, let's set the standard for what is possible. And then we don't have to worry about anybody else. In 10 years, do you see a program like Turing being a replacement for a traditional college education? I, I do, uh, except I see it last year. It's not 10 years ago. You know, There is no observable difference in either uh, in-program performance or job performance after Turing between a student who has a college degree and a student who does not. The only difference is in some employers, uh, a small number of them, particularly if they're government contractors, that they have a hard federal requirement around you have to have a subject area degree to work on this project. That's about one out of 20 employers for us. College is a great way to grow up. College is a great way to study things that you're interested in. College has never been good at getting people jobs. And as I look at my own kids, uh, my oldest two started third and second grade this week. And sometimes people ask like, oh, should, would your kids go to Turing? And I would say, you know, I, I, I appreciate that the option is open to them, but I, I hope they do choose to go to college. And if they want to study Greek mythology, go do it. And if you want to study, you know, historic Spanish literature or whatever, things that don't naturally lead to strong career paths, go do it and enjoy it and, and do it the best you can do and get super, 
be, be an expert on it. You know, I, I think it's powerful for people to be, to decide to be really good at something. And then if you want to get a job, we can train you to get a job. Well, Jeff, I think that's a great place to stop. This has been a wonderful conversation and I appreciate your perspective as always. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks for talking with me as usual. And I look forward to seeing the plans for Turing High School. And um, I mean, hopefully people listening better understand the differences between the traditional classroom that they might be used to and what it feels like to learn in a boot camp. So I think this was very worthwhile. And to those of you listening, thank you for tuning in. As always, we love feedback. So email us at hello at coursereport.com. If there's a specific topic you'd like us to talk about, anything you'd like to hear in particular, let us know. And if you enjoyed this podcast, help other future boot campers find it by going to iTunes, subscribing to the Course Report podcast and leaving a review. And we'll see you on the next one.